We are going to be starting a new series today. Um, I've talked about this a little bit in the past, um, but I want to go through a very well-known, um, we're not going to hit his whole life, but we want to talk a little bit about some lessons from Samson's life, okay? Um, now, I, I, I want you to hear me for a few minutes here. Um, sometimes we struggle a little bit in church circles and, and we talk about guys like Paul or David or Samson or these people. And we, we talk about the story that God involved them in. And, and we start thinking about them as the lead character in the story, right? Like them as, as the main character in what we're talking about. But I want you to hear me today. When you read about Paul or Peter or you read about anybody in the Bible not named Jesus and not named God, Yahweh or God, anyone else is a secondary character. Okay, like every one of these stories isn't about how great Samson was, it's about how great God is, right? Any one of these stories isn't about how terrible Samson was, it's about how God uses imperfect people. Right? And that's that's really the story of scripture. It's not our story. It's God's story. And these people are a part of that story, just like today, right? Like we get to partner with what God is doing. But if somebody comes to Jesus, I didn't save them. Jesus did, right? He might've used me in part of their story, but Jesus is the one that does the work. And it's so important for us to have the right understanding of who's doing what in scripture, right? It, it's incredible. Now, Samson takes place, his story takes place in the book of Judges. And you're gonna hear me refer to story a lot. Please understand what I'm saying. It's a story because it happened and we're telling it. Not a story like Chicken Little where somebody made it up and tells a story, right? Like when I say story, I'm not talking a fictional story. I believe this is a 100% accurate biblically trustworthy story that really happened in somebody's life, right? But we get the story of what God tells us. And so it's important um, as, as we look at that. But Samson becomes one of, one of Israel's judges. Now, it's important for us to know a couple of things. First of all, the judges didn't rule all of Israel when they judged. Most of the judges were, were judging over maybe one or two tribes of Israel. Israel was not a kingdom yet, right? It was 12 tribes of people that had been led into this land, and now they're in this land kind of doing their thing as, as a people group, but really they're more faithful to their tribe than they are to the, there is no nation of Israel, right? Like if Benjamin is going to do something and Judah says no, Benjamin cares way more about what Benjamin is doing than what Judah says, right? And so we think of them sometimes, these judges, as like kings, and they're not right? They're, 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 they're helping rule a small part of, of what comes to be known as the nation of Israel. It's also important to know that Samson, like the first half of Judges, is the story kind of of judges who really are serving God, right? People, judges like Deborah, um, judges like Gideon, right? They're, they're out there and they're really serving God. They're doing their best to live their life like God. But what happens through the whole book of Judges, if you read the book of Judges, is the nation of Israel serves God. And then they slowly start to drift from God, right? And then they really 
start to drift from God. And then God allows something, some, usually some other country, to come in and conquer this area of, of, of Israel, one of the tribes, one of the cities, one of these areas. And people finally then at that point in time get desperate for relief. And so they cry out to God for deliverance. God sends a judge right, to come in and deliver the nation of Israel, and so they serve God. And then they slowly start to get comfortable, and they make compromises, and then they walk away from God, and then they really walk away from God. And then God allows another nation to come in and conquer part of Israel, right, part of, the, part of one of the tribes, and then they're enslaved and things go bad, and so then eventually they remember God and they cry out to God for deliverance, and God sends a judge. And the judge delivers the nation of Israel, right, the people of Israel, and they serve God, and then they slowly start to get comfortable. Repeat, repeat, repeat. And what happens is, let's say serving God is up here. The first time they're way up here and then the judge comes and they only get to about here. And then the cycle happens again and then the judge comes and then they only get to about here. And they just slowly start to compromise to the point where even the people that are, are, are judging the nation of Israel aren't really people that we would look to of, as people of high moral fiber. Even the leaders of the nation of Israel at this point aren't really people that we would look to and be like, hey, kids, you should live your life like that person. Okay, and there's this slow decay over time of the moral structure of the nation of Israel, right? Until really huge things start happening and they ask for a king and David comes in and then like, it, it's, this, it's this big, it's just this decay. It's one of the saddest books in the Bible to me. Because it reminds me so much of my life, right? Where like God will do something miraculous and I get all excited for Jesus and then I slowly just start to drift and then I all of a sudden something happens and I come back to Jesus and then like, right, like that, my life reflects it a lot of times. And it's such an important thing for us as we look at scripture to understand a lot of what Samson's about to do he is anointed by God, but he does stuff under the anointing that God does not approve of. And I need you to hear it today. Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean God's good with it. And people, even under the anoint, God's anointing does not equal God's approval. People have done things all the time with incredible anointing of God that God does not approve of. It's a real thing. And we're gonna look through this story. We're gonna look through some of his life. We're gonna take a look at some of these things and we're gonna talk about it. And so just a little background, if you don't know anything about Samson, right? Samson is born into a home and his parents made major decisions for Samson, Samson's future in his life, right? Please don't mistake what I'm about to say. That's not a bad thing. But his parents have this idea and, and, and they decide that while Samson's in the womb, right, God, God comes and like there's all of these stories and they decide that Samson is gonna take a thing called the Nazarite vow, 
okay? It means Samson is never allowed to cut his hair. He's never allowed to have any sort of alcohol. He's not allowed to touch dead things. There's all of these rules that come along and he's gonna be separated as a Nazarite, not a Nazarene, somebody from the city of Nazareth, but a Nazarite vow, okay? Um, And so he's kind of separated from a lot of these things and his parents make that choice for him. And I think one of the things that you'll see as you go through this story is you realize Samson hung on to the the faith of his parents, but it never really became his own until he was ready to die. Samson like lived on the coattails of his parents' decisions and faith, but it never really changed his heart. It never really became his own faith until literally he's about ready to die. And all of a sudden he realizes what a waste his life was because he sees what it could have been. Now, take that with a grain of salt. That's like Samson seeing it. And I'm not saying it was literally a waste. But I wonder what could have happened had Samson really sold out to Jesus in the beginning instead of just riding his parents' faith. And the reason I say that is so much of what we're about to read. You're gonna see God use Samson in miraculous incredible, amazing ways, right? But you're gonna see Samson do the dumbest stuff ever. Like just continually compromising and stuck in the same pattern over and over and over again. You're gonna see both sides. Because God doesn't need a perfect vessel to use him. And I'm very grateful for that. If he was, none of us would ever be used. I don't know about you. Actually, I do know about you. You're not perfect, Neither am I. And thank God, God has always been willing to use people despite our imperfections. We don't have to have it all figured out for God to use us. But hopefully throughout our lives, as God is using us, we draw closer to him instead of just staying stuck in our ruts. Right, so I want you to open your Bible to Judges chapter 14. Okay, that's in the Old Testament, um, Judges chapter 14. Um, you know, you're going to kind of see those, those mosaic books, Deuteronomy, you know, um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. You're going to see those. The book of Joshua is going to come. If you hit Ruth, you've gone too far. Okay, um, it's right in between Joshua and Ruth. There's this book of Judges. Now, 14, if you look at it, you're right about in the middle. So when we talk about this, we've seen this ebb and flow of their faith over and over and over again by this time and they cry out to God and God sends Samson as a judge and so uh, uh, chapter 14 verses 1 1 is where we're going to start and we're going to read a lot of scripture today get ready to kind of just roll through things with me Um, one day when Samson was in Timnah one of the Philistine women caught his eye you need to hear right now the Jewish men were not supposed to marry women who were Philistines They just weren't. It wasn't about who was better than others. It was all about being equal in their faith. If a Philistine woman conformed to Judaism and started following following God, we're fine, okay? But God does not want them marrying someone with a different faith than them, okay? He wants them to marry somebody who's gonna help elevate their faith, somebody that's gonna walk with God with them. And so right away, we'll see over and over again that Samson has a problem with lust, Some people might call it a problem with women, but listen, it's not the woman's problem. It's Samson's problem. Okay? These women were just being women. Samson was the one who compromised his values. It's not their fault that he battled lust. Right? And so... A Philistine woman caught his eye. When he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. 
Must have been some catching of the eye. Go get her for me. Now, I understand. In 2024, in America, that line makes no sense to us. But that was how things worked then, right? A guy saw a lady, and he talked to his parents, and his parents went and talked to her parents, and they figured out how much money it was going to cost, and the dowry was exchanged, and weddings happened. That's how it worked, okay? I'm not saying it's awesome. It's just how it worked. Parts of it were probably great. As a father of daughters, I wish I was... Never mind. Okay. <laughs> His father and mother objected. Isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among all of the Israelites you could marry, they asked? Why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? But Samson told her, go get her for me. She looks good to me. He doesn't really appear to know her name. He doesn't really know if she's smart. He doesn't know if she's into crafting, you know. He doesn't know if she likes to bike at night. He doesn't, you know, like, he doesn't know if she likes to go on long walks by the, we- or by the beach, right? She just looks good, and I want her. Go get her. His father and mother didn't realize that the Lord was at work in this. Creating an opportunity to work against the Philistines who ruled over Israel at that time. I need you to hear something. It doesn't say God thought this was awesome. It says God is at work in this situation. God is going to use even a situation that doesn't necessarily bring him pleasure to work about his will. Okay? God has used lots of things in my life that I did in spite of God. And now he can use those stories to help other people. It doesn't mean God was good with them. It doesn't mean God wanted me to sin and compromise and do those kind of things. But he can still be at work in them. Okay? So, so hear it. So as Samson and his parents were going down to Timnah, a young lion suddenly attacked Samson near the vineyards of Timnah. At that moment, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him and he ripped the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands. I need you to hear it. It's a young lion, but it's a lion. Comes flying out of the wilderness to attack them and the spirit of the Lord comes upon Samson and what happens? Now, I think most of us would try and get away from the face of a lion. But Samson apparently thought it was a good idea to grab it by the mouth and rip its face apart. (laughs) Right? Like, that's what we just read. If your imagination isn't as good as mine, I'm sorry, but that's what we just read. Right? Like, he rips its mouth apart. He did it as easily as if it were a young goat. I've never ripped the face off a goat before. That seems like a strange comparison to me. I don't know how hard it is to rip the face off a goat. All right. But he didn't tell his father or mother about it. When Samson arrived in Timnah, he talked with the woman and was very pleased with her. So at least he did have one chat with her. 
Later, when he returned to Timnah for the wedding, he turned off to the path to look at the carcass of the lion, and he found a swarm of bees had made some honey in the carcass. He scooped some of the honey into his hands and ate it along the way. Understand, that's breaking the Nazarite vow. Okay, he just touched something that's in a dead carcass. No Jew is supposed to do that, um, but especially not someone who's taken a Nazarite vow. It's not necessarily a sin to eat honey, okay? But it was something they weren't supposed to do. As his father was making final arrangements, verse 10, for the marriage, Samson threw a party at Timnah, and was, as was custom for elite young men. When the bride's parents saw him, they selected 30 young men from the town to be his companions. Samson said to them, let me tell you a riddle. If you solve my riddle during these seven days of the celebration, I will give you 35 linen robes and 30 sets of festive clothing. But if you can't solve it, then you must give me 35 linen robes and 30 sets of festive clothing. All right, they agreed. Let's hear your riddle. So he said, out of the one who eats came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. They've got to figure out what that is, right? Three days later, they were still trying to figure it out. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to explain the riddle for us, or we will burn down your father's house with you in it. That's a pretty serious threat, right? Like, figure out the riddle, or we're going to kill you and everyone you know. Again, these are not Israelites. We're not saying that God's good with this. We're just saying this is what happened. Did you invite us to this party just to make us poor? So Samson's wife came to him in tears and said, you don't love me, you hate me. You have given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. I haven't even given the answer to my father or mother, he replied. Why should I tell you? Can I just be honest and say this is not good marital communication? From either direction, right? We have a very manipulative thing happening from one side, and we have a very cold and callous, so what, from the other side. Neither one of these is a good model of communication between anyone, much less husband and wife. So she cried whenever she was with him and kept it up for the rest of the celebration. At last, on the seventh day, he told her the answer because she was tormenting him with her nagging. This is not a model. <laughs> then she explained the riddle to the young men. So before sunset of the seventh day, the men of town came to Samson with their answer. What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than the lion? Samson replied, if you haven't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have solved my riddle. <laughs> I'd like to talk to every man in this room. <laughs> Just don't. This is not words of wisdom. If you ever refer to your wife as a heifer, you deserve whatever happens to you. Okay? Like, like this, just learn. Okay. Then the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to the town of Ashkelon, killed 30 men, took their belongings and gave their clothing to the men who had solved his riddle. But Samson was furious about what had happened, and he went back home to live with his father and mother. So his wife was given in marriage to the man who had been Samson's best man at the wedding. 
I think most of us would look at this story and say there's a lot of stupid in it. Right? First and foremost, I would say saying plowing with my heifer about your wife, not a good call. They're both manipulative. They're both very emotional. Hear it. She's using emotion to manipulate him and to tell him something. Samson, like a lot of guys don't think they're emotional because they don't think of anger as an emotion. They only think of tears as emotional, right? So we're angry and we're jealous and we're frustrated, but we don't think of ourselves as emotional because we don't think of those as emotions. Samson reacts every bit as emotionally as she does in this story. The emotions are out of control. Right? Like, and it causes neither one of them to do something good. And then her parents are just like, fine, Samson doesn't want to marry you. We'll give her to someone else. No big deal. Verse 15 Later on during the wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat as a present to his wife. He's calmed down. I thought we were still married. I'm going to take a young goat whose face is apparently very easy to rip off. (laughs) He said, I'm going to go into my wife's room to sleep with her, but her father wouldn't let him in. I truly thought you must hate her, her father explained. So I gave her in marriage to your best man. But look, her younger sister is even more beautiful than she is. Marry her instead. There's a lot of things in the Bible that God isn't cool with, but it's real. Right? Like this was very normal in in these times. Now, I want you to hear again. This dad clearly is afraid of Samson's temper. He's seen the emotional outburst. Over 30 pieces of clothing, he went and killed 30 dudes. And now he's got to look him in the eye and be like, yeah, your wife, I let someone else marry her. How do you think that's going to go? So instead of having a reasonable discussion and trying to talk through these things, he just offers him his other daughter. Okay? Again, not good, but it happens. So what happens? Samson said, this time I cannot be blamed for anything I'm going to do to you Philistines. Serious emotional reaction coming. Okay. Then he went out and caught 300 foxes. How do you catch 300 foxes? He tied their tails together in pairs and he fastened a torch to each pail of tails. All of you animal lovers, I'm sorry. It's just in the Bible. Then he lit the torches and let the foxes run through the grain fields of the Philistines. He burned all their grain to the ground, including the sheaves and the uncut grain. He also destroyed their vineyards and olive groves. They don't have canning. They don't have airplane freight. They don't have freezers. They don't have those kind of things. When the food supply for an area goes, the people starve. This is a huge deal. Okay? They can't just call North Dakota and be like, hey, we're in Minnesota and our grain crop failed. Can you send us some of yours? Who did this? The Philistines demanded. Samson was the reply. Because his father-in-law from Timnah gave Samson's wife to be married to his best man. So the Philistines went and got the woman and her father and burned them to death. They didn't get Samson. They got his family. Again, the Philistines... They're not even trying to follow God. They're, they serve pagan gods. This is a really normal thing in this culture. Okay? Not good, but really normal. 
Because you did this, Samson vowed, I won't rest and take my, until I take my revenge on you. I think this is a really interesting statement because Samson got so mad at her, he just left her for a while over a riddle, right? And then he comes back and his father-in-law is like, no, you can't have her. So he went and set a bunch of fires to a bunch of fields. But then when they retaliate now, Samson's like, how dare you? How dare you? Okay. So he attacked the Philistines with great fury and killed many of them. Then he went to live in a cave in the rock of Edom. The Philistines retaliated by setting up camp in Judah and spreading out near the town of Lehi. The men of Judah asked the Philistines, why are you attacking us? The Philistines replied, we've come to capture Samson. We've come to pay him back for what he did to us. So so 3,000 men of Judah went down to get Samson at the cave in the rock of Edom. Then he said to Samson, don't you realize the Philistines rule over us? What are you doing to us? The Philistines are in charge. They've conquered, right? And so Samson is ticking off the people that are in charge. And rather than rally and fight along Samson, they come to Samson and they're like, why are you poking the hornet's nest? Why are you making them upset? Notice, I want, you to, I want you to just pay attention. Do you see any mention anywhere in here of God at all? Like of any of them taking time to pray to God and ask for wisdom. Pray to God and ask for his advice. Pray to God and ask what we should do here. There's none of that. We see people reacting on raw emotion. We see people coming in and just doing what they think is best. And God isn't even a part of this equation yet. This is no way to live. And can I tell you, most of the time in my life, when I have let emotion make my decisions for me, it has not turned out real well. Whatever that emotion was, worry, fear, anger, frustration, anytime I let my emotions lead the way in decision-making, I can't think of a time that's worked out awesome for me. Maybe you're different, but I doubt it. We see a lot of people just reacting in this story. And can I tell you, I just don't think it's the way it's supposed to go. But Samson replied in the most mature response in the Bible. I only did to them what they did to me. I'm a father of four children. Since they've been old enough to talk, I don't know that we have gone a whole week without something like this. Yeah, but she said, yeah, but he did. I don't care, (laughs) right? Like we're not talking to them. We will talk to them. But right now we're talking to you. And Samson is so incredibly mature that even anointed by the Holy Spirit at least wants to rip rip apart a lion's face. As somebody who took a Nazarite vow who was supposed to dedicate his whole life to God, he basically looks at him and says, Yeah, but they're mean. But the men of Judah told him, verse 12, 
We have come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. All right, Samson said, but promise me that you won't kill me yourselves. We will only tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. They replied, we won't kill you. So they tied him up with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. I love that detail, new ropes. God wants to make sure as we read through this, that it's not some frayed, busted up rope that they found in the back of the, you know, like shoved into the back of the shed. It's two new ropes, right? Like high quality, ready to go, two new ropes. They tie him up. They bring him to the Philistines. As Samson arrived at Lehi, the Philistines came shouting in triumph because they got him, right? That's what we're supposed to see. But the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson and he snapped the arms on his, or he snapped the ropes on his arms as if they were burnt strands of flax. This I relate to a little bit, okay? My grandpa was a farmer, rancher, um, and he raised lots of things. We, we, cattle was one of the primary things. They raised a lot of wheat, a lot of sunflowers, but flax was one of the things that we grew as well. I, I was in flax fields a lot. Alfalfa, flax, you know, these kind of things. Flax is a lot like a stem of, of, of wheat, only it's a very, very different head. And I want you, if you don't know what flax is, think about a stem of wheat, right? Like one strand of wheat. And think if you could break that apart, right? The answer to that is yes. Now imagine setting it on fire first and then trying to break it. Easier or harder? Much easier. So Samson breaks apart these ropes as if they were burned strands of flax. I was going to bring a rope up here and have somebody try and break it, but I forgot. Okay. (laughs) And then they fell from his wrists. Then he found the jawbone of a recently killed donkey. This is not a recently killed donkey jawbone. This isn't even a real jonky. Uh, I almost said it. Every time I tell the story, I say jonky dawbone at least one time. <laughs> this isn't even a real donkey jawbone. It's plaster. It's a remake of one, okay? This is what it would look like if you killed an adult donkey and took its jaw off its face, okay? And looked at the bone. This is how big it is. This is the shape. This is the size, Okay, you can see some teeth right there, a bone. I imagine he would have held it like this because it's more like a club. It's a nice little handle between the teeth, right? Now it's freshly killed, so it would have been a lot gorier than this, but I didn't want to gross you out too bad. So when I had Mike paint this up, I told him not to add all the muscle and gross on it. But we know the bone was new, so it was strong. It wasn't bleached. But it's a jawbone. And he's about to do something ridiculous with it. He's about to attack an army with a bone. It doesn't matter how new the bone is. When the bone hits a sword, what's going to win? Under normal circumstances, the sword. When the bone hits a shield, what's going to win? Under normal circumstances, the shield, right? Bone meets metal, metal wins. Ask anybody who's broken a bone, right? The metal's gonna win. But he picks up this 
And the spirit of the Lord comes powerfully upon him. He picked it up and killed a thousand Philistines with it. Okay, I'm sorry. Again, just once again, I'm going to just take you into my mind and my imagination. I know some of your imaginations are broke, so it's hard for you. But I oftentimes wonder what guy 1000 was thinking. Like, Samson wades out into this army with one of these. And the first five or six guys have got to be thinking, this is a joke. Right? And then they die. And then the next couple of guys have got to be like, okay, there's a thousand of us and there's one of him. Numbers are going to overwhelm. Right? And we're going we're gonna to kill this guy. But when it's down to the thousandth guy versus Samson, even though you're looking at that jawbone, you got to be thinking, what, like, is he thinking, maybe he's tired now? Like, I, I don't understand why number 1,000 would go after Samson. By that point in time, I would think most rational people would have wet themselves and run away. But number 1,000 decides to come after him, and this is enough. Now, I don't believe that there is a donkey jawbone in the world that is strong enough to kill 1,000 armed people without shattering. Except God used something like this. And somebody as flawed and emotional and broken as Samson to work out what God needed to work out, which was the deliverance of his people. And that's the important thing. The story isn't just about Samson. He's not even the main character. The story isn't about a donkey jawbone. I almost said it again. I had to think about it. Then Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, I piled them in heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I've killed a thousand men. That's like a song, in case you missed it. I think that would be a funny song to sing some Sunday morning. But he, he writes this song. It's really complicated. When he finished his boasting, he threw away the jawbone and the place was named Jawbone Hill. That seems like a fitting name. But listen to me. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him and allowed him to do something that makes absolutely no sense without God. And when it got done, what did he do? Bow knee, look to the heavens and say, thank you, Jesus, so much for guiding my hand and keeping me safe. No, he wrote a song bragging about how often awesome he was. I need you to hear it today. Samson's not the hero of the story. Samson is about as flawed as they come. He's proud. He's an emotional wreck. He's quick to jump to conclusions. He makes flash decisions without talking to anybody. He clearly cannot communicate with the women in his life. And yet, God looks and says, I'm going to use him. Because my people need to be delivered. My people need to be delivered. 
I want you to think about that in contrast to Jesus hanging on a cross. I want you to think about Samson's great victory, which is really just God's victory, versus Jesus hanging on a cross. In Luke 23, 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they were doing, at what they are doing, as the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. They've hung him on a cross. He's dying for their sins, completely innocent. And he's not up there. It says, the Bible says he could have called legions of angels down and had everybody killed and all these things. And instead, Jesus offers forgiveness. I, I want you to hear me. There is a time when nations need to go to war. I'm not trying to advocate some sort of 100% pacifist society. I, th that's not my point. But my point is, when God does something in Jesus's life, his immediate reaction, even as God, is to give thanks to God. And when God does something in Samson's life, Samson's immediate reaction is to talk about how awesome he is. I just want you to see for, for a minute. Now, listen, Samson, despite all of his flaws, if you turn to Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter that is dubbed the Hall of Faith, you will see his name there. Because at the very end of his life, he completely turned it around and looked to God. And it doesn't take an entire life of having everything figured out. Right? You don't have to do everything right for God to use you. Samson certainly didn't. And God used him to accomplish his purposes. So what's the point today? Why share all these stories? Why go through it? First of all, I think some of you don't realize how awesome the Bible is. I don't know if you spent all your time reading in numbers or what. But like there are amazing stories of God using people in the Bible. It is incredible. And the most amazing thing to me is the type of people that he used. Now, for so many of us today in the church, we put them in stained glass windows. We call them saints. We think of them as these superhuman people that did no wrong. Did you hear what we just read? And this is not abnormal. I want you to hear today, if you hear nothing else, a couple of things. First of all, Jesus loves you. And if you don't know him, it's time to meet with him. Let's talk after this. Come up here, ask any questions you might have. I'll answer as many of them as I can, but let's talk about, let's, let's talk to Jesus. Second of all, I want you to hear today, God doesn't need you to be perfect before he can use you. I hear this so often. We talked about this a little bit last week, how so many people just wait till they have that one more thing figured out before they'll really give God their life and start living for him. I just got to figure this addiction out or I got to fix that relationship or I've got to do this. Then I'll start living for God. And can I tell you, just bring that stuff to the feet of Jesus and let him deal with it. He's ready. He's ready. And if he can use a wreck like Samson, he can use you. God, you're good. You're good. I'm so glad that I don't have to be the good one because we'd be waiting a long time. But you're good.
And today I just pray that you speak to us. For people in this place that are struggling, God, I pray that you help them to lay it at your feet. For people in this place that feel like they're not good enough for you to speak into their life, I pray that you help them to get a better glimpse of who you are. God, we come to you today knowing that you're good, knowing that you are perfect and we are not. And so God, if there are people in here that have been putting off doing something that you've asked them to do because they've got to get something figured out first, God, I pray that you bring conviction where it needs to be brought. I pray that you speak into where it needs to be. God, we don't want to be known as, as these failures who you had to use anyway, but God, help us not to wait to do what you're asking us to do. We don't have to be perfect to be children of God. Lead us, guide us, help us to step out in faith in who you are. It's in your name I pray, amen. Have an awesome Sunday, everyone. Thank <laughs> you.